Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome to the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected, where each week we gather right here to make connections that break through that illusion of separation. And I trust that there's going to be some things you hear this next hour that will open you to the infinite possibility of global transformation. So imagine this now. How do we inform, inspire, and even engage individuals in this digital era of rapid change? And how do we share new perspectives on global issues and cut through the noise of information overload and the barrage of social media rhetoric? Our guest today has been on a mission to do this by sharing transformational thinking and policy initiatives, aesthetic beauty, and collective wisdom since 2001. And more than that, she has been working with powerful world leaders and changemakers for decades to tell a new story of our human potential. I invite you to take a few deep breaths, bring your awareness into this moment, open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential self as I introduce our guest. Dr. Nancy Roof is the founder of the award-winning Cosmos Journal, Global Transformation in Harmony with All Life. Based on evolving interior development, collective worldviews, and cultural values as they impact globalization and world community. She's also actively involved in the founding of Global Commons, Global Citizenship, and Peace Building. Nancy won the 2009 Images and Voices of Hope Award for Excellence in Journalism. Her testimony on the human dimensions of the United Nations was distributed to the U.S. President and Congress. And as a founder of transpersonal psychology in the late 70s, she served as a spiritual guide to individuals for over 20 years. In the late 80s, she began to define the field of global transformation at the United Nations, where she successfully lobbied for elevated global standards in international treaties and co-founded the Values Caucus and the Spiritual Caucus. Working with 78 international organizations in war zones for over two years, she recognized the traumatic effects of war, not only on military personnel, but on their families, communities, and service providers. She then designed the first global training program on secondary traumatic stress and implemented it initially during the Balkan Wars, and now it's used internationally. She's a founding member of the Global Commons Initiative, World Wisdom Council, World Shift 2012 with Irvin Laszlo, a board member of Integral Review and Living Earth TV, and a speaker at Mikhail Gorbachev's World Political Forum. I usually don't give such a long and lengthy bio to start the show, but oh, it is so rich and yummy. I just had to read every word of that. Welcome, Nancy. Oh, thank you so much, Julie. Yes, well, I've lived a long time, many (laughs) wonderful years, so I have several chapters to my journey. 
Oh, well, I can't wait to really hear about this and how this journey unfolded for you because it is so rich and diverse and yet so meaningful. So I'm really looking forward to that. But before we go there, I do have a traditional first question here on our show, Nancy, and I always like to set this conversation into a larger meme. So I'm going to ask you, Dr. Nancy Ruff, what does all things connected mean to you? Mm. Mm. You know, as the years go by, I gain more and more depth to that phrase, all things connected. I think when I was younger, uh, I didn't realize the connection of nature and all the life that there is in space. I didn't know this as a young person. It's only as I, as I grew in spiritual, uh, on my spiritual journey that I realized that we are surrounded in, by life in every form throughout the whole universe, and we don't even know what the whole universe is. There is life all around us and inside of us. We're filled with living microbes and cells. Everything is alive and connected. And this is something we're just realizing and what that really means in our lives. So being connected, belonging, no matter where you are, If you're alone in a desert, you are surrounded by life and you're connected across space and time. So this this, um, phrase that you're using, Julie, is so rich and we're really just unfolding what that really means in our lives. So thank you for using that phrase to start the conversation because it's it's really the edge of transformation. Mm. Mm, your voice just is so lovely matched with those words. Thank you. I, you know, I've been doing this show for two and a half years now and you're right. It's just right there on the edge and so we continue to get the most incredible guests and the most incredible themes that all come back to this phrase and so I really appreciate you just acknowledging that. You know, you yourself dear have an incredible resume like resume like I mentioned at the beginning when I was introducing you and you've not only been on this leading edge but you have been pioneering the leading edge for decades. Your career has been so interesting and meaningful and yet on a trajectory of this new frontier. So I would love if you would start us off by telling our listeners a little bit about who is Nancy Roof and how did you get on this path that's unfolded before you? Because like I said, it just feels like you've always been right there on that cusp of the new, of that, of that leading edge and that, that trajectory? Oh, my goodness. I, I suppose 
it's been through lifetimes, really. Um, although I didn't recognize when I was younger uh, that I really was a uh, spiritual server, that my whole life is devoted to service and to implementing the next stage of evolution for humanity, and that that's where I belong and probably have belonged for many lifetimes. And um, But when I started out in this lifetime, I, had, I, was, uh, I was not spiritual at all. I was educated in, in the Western ways, and uh, really, um, which really did not involve spirituality at all. And it was only as I, I think I would say that I went through a dark night of the soul, and that really changed my life completely. I was absorbed in raising a family and doing community activities and so forth without any spirituality whatsoever. But then I came to a time when it all ran out. There was no more enticement for living in the conditioned way our society had taught me and that I bought fully, there was, I realized, the, the shallowness of this kind of life. And it got, I get, went more and more deeply within and feeling, what is the use? Why, why even live when there's just the repetitive pattern of nonsense going on out there. Uh, but I had three children, and so they, they were the reason that I kept on living, uh, despite my feelings of really um, despair, that there really was nothing uh, here for me. And gradually, I, I came to, I actually got an image one day of this most beautiful, pink, creamy, beautiful rose just unfolding in my inner mind. And somehow, that rose, that was really it, that Somehow I realized at that instant, oh my goodness, the world is so beautiful. It is so beautiful. Look at that fragility of that beautiful flower and the color of it. And I could live just for that. And I could live for love. I don't need to be loved myself. I need to love other people. No matter where I am, I can go down to the grocery store and, and be kind to who's ever there and give them a good word for the day. I can do all of these things to make a better world. And that, I was quite young when that happened. Well, I was in my 30s, actually, in my 30s. And that dark night turned into the most 
beautiful, loving world that I knew I could make for myself. And that was the turning point. And very soon after I made that shift inside, I began to meet my teachers. And I never had a formal teacher. I've always learned from my own life events. But I had people who helped me uh, get into the more esoteric aspects of religion and spirituality because I, I was not attracted to uh, traditional religion at all. I could always find, <laughs> I found it very shallow, the kind that I was introduced to. So it had to be much deeper than that. And those teachers started coming to me. And they just came and came. And uh, my life became a life of world service after that. But I think it's so important for people to know about the dark night, the tremendous challenges that people who are going to be spiritual service go through in their lifetime before they emerge into their life work. Uh, and so many people, because at the beginning of my career, I did, I was helping to found transpersonal psychology, spiritual psych- psychology. And it was so hard for people to realize that if they were going through, the more darkness they had, the more light was on the other end. And I had experienced that myself. If I hadn't experienced it myself, I don't think I could have been authentically with my um, the people that I guided during those years. But I had experienced that to the fullest. And uh, so I had no question when a person is going through the darkest, what seemed like they don't even want to live it so dark, that on the other side is a sun so bright and radiant that they won't be able to believe it. Hmm. I just adore that story, number one, just because of how profound that dark night of the soul is for us as as a humanity and, and sometimes we, you know, we go through more than one, it seems like. Others yes. um, you know, multiple, but as a humanity you know, we're in a pretty dark time. And I wasn't going to jump into that question until later because we have so much other things to talk about. But this is a really um, nice lead-in to just open to that potential, Nancy. So I'm wondering if you can speak about the world as you see it right now. And we're, you know, we're going through some interesting shifts on the planet. We're watching many different institutions crumble or break down um, a lot of a lot of our evolutionary leaders will say that these breakdowns are breakthroughs and it so it to me it matches your story of the darker of the darkest nights of the soul the light and the sun is so bright and and I really would love to hear you speak a little bit about what are what we're going through as a humanity right now, and I think that this 
is probably what has really inspired a lot of your work since that time as well. Yes, yes. Well, I'm so glad that I had that, those many years of working with the individual psyche. Because when I came to the UN, I had a meditation that I needed to go to the UN and bring everything I knew from my 20 years of working with individuals to the global arena. And I knew nothing about international affairs. I thought, oh my goodness, how can I have this meditation? And I follow my meditations. So I knew I had to go. And I thought, how can I ever do this? And yet, it, it, of course, that was the time for me to uh, move from individual dynamics to, co- to the collective and to humanity itself. And all the things I learned from working all those years with individuals at the, at the deepest levels, I found at the collective level. And I think that uh, you're right and that many people are recognizing this about transformation. It really has to go to the darkest point of collapse so that we understand we have to let go of the past because something we've evolved to the next step. And for me, it's very important not to condemn the past, not to condemn uh, where we had grown in institutions and and the collective uh, place of humanity uh, because that was part of our growth. And uh, but now we need to let go of that, not to say it's bad, but to say it's time to let go. And this experience of letting go of our values of life itself and death has been something that the Western world has been afraid of. We have done very little to educate our people around death itself, and life and death go together. And so we're very remiss on that, and this is one thing that the new paradigm is bringing in, that it's not just death, physical death, but it's psychological death of values and uh, institutional forms. All the forms will have to change, and um, they will change in time. I think spiritually we we never know the timing, because that has to do with how much um, humanity gets involved in the process. But we know eventually that transformation will happen. And I believe it's coming from spiritual sources, even though we can name people who are primarily involved. But the problem we have is that we have difficulty in letting go. And I see that one of the the most needed things, um, areas of learning and skills to develop um, for this new period that we're in is the ability to let go of what we hold dearest in many cases. Mm. Yeah, just listening to you, you, when you first spoke, you said letting go of the past, we've evolved, almost like um, there's this awareness that 
we've already evolved past the point of understanding where we need to let go. It's kind of like when we let go, the new is already there because we've already evolved past that old forms, the old forms, the old values, where we're at. We've already evolved past it. So when we do have the ability to let go, we can come naturally into this self-organizing new place that will sustain us. Do you, what do you think about that idea? Oh, I, I absolutely agree. And that is what Cosmos Journal is all about, uh, that I founded it on that, on that principle, that people uh, who are evolving and have reached a, a higher note need to have a place to go. We have to have pioneers, and we do have them. We have, have had them since at least the 60s, who are, are uh, uh, innovating, innovating new ways of being in the world, in themselves, and in, the, in, an, in our institutions. So, and since I started Cosmos, it has grown so tremendously because at the beginning, it really wasn't known that we were going through a transformative period. Now it's reached mainstream. People know whether we call it a transition, a new paradigm, a transformation, uh, that we are in a major turning point. And that's pretty mainstream now, but it wasn't in 2001. Mm. So I felt we that the young people and the older people, no matter what age, young, young in spirit, needed to have a place to go. So Cosmos has been uh, researching those places within society, within our institutions, uh, and within our own being. Uh, what, uh, what is the new way of living with spirit? What is life? What is the difference between soul and spirit? And what are we to do uh, to pioneer these new ways of being? And it takes courage to do that because when you pioneer something new, it's not accepted uh, by mainstream society. And you have so many, so many obstacles to overcome. But we've had pioneers a world service, I call them my spiritual sisters and brothers, who have stepped forward and started at the margins of society new ways of organizing and being in every field, whether it's law, governance, economics, science, whatever field it is, we have those leaders who have come forth. And so there is a place when... Uh, young people start to explore the meaning of not life and what their worldview might be. There are places for them to go now. And you have interviewed many of those people who have been uh, really spiritual. It's this whole people who were born knowing that they were innovators of the new unfolding reality for humanity. So I agree wholeheartedly with what you're saying, and, and as I say, that's what Cosmos is all about. And now we've, we've actually made a shift, though I have, I have to say we've made a shift 
because when we first started in 2001, information was the most important thing because people were not then talking about transition and uh, transformation and systemic change. They were talking about reforms, but not that's, that's very different from systemic change. So uh, we were bringing in that philosophy. As I say, there weren't very many people, so that we needed the, the inform part of our mission uh, was more um, needed at that point. Uh, and with the inspiration, but we had to be careful because spirituality itself was not really accepted in 2001 the way it is now, to bring in the inspirational aspects. And in the last few years, it's really moved to the engagement piece, that now it's, it's, we are not going to make it to the next step unless people get engaged in the millions to protest what's happening uh, with our traditional institutions. Mm. Well, you know what? I really am looking forward to talking more about the engagement and your strategies, your vision, and what have you. We need to take a quick break, and um, I just want to remind our listeners, we are talking to Nancy Roof, and she is the founder of Cosmos Journals, and you can find that online, and you can get a, a hard copy as well in the mail, but go to cosmosjournal.org, K-O-S-M-O-S-journal.org. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Hey, Larry, mind if I sit down? Nope. This coffee tastes like uh, coffee. So what's going on? Not much. What's new? Not much. Okay, but can you please put the newspaper down while you say not much? What newspaper? This newspaper. Oh, dude, what happened to your face? I see one, two, three, four, five, six. Dude, what is this? Eleven pieces of toilet paper stuck to your face? I'm shaving in the dark to save energy. I'm helping the environment. That's a dangerous way to help the environment. Well, sometimes you have to sacrifice yourself for the greater good. Dude, there's an easier and safer way to help the environment without sacrificing yourself. Go green, go public. Take public transportation. It's good for the environment and you won't have to live behind a newspaper. Wow. But for now, put the newspaper back up. A message from the public transportation systems across the country. To learn more, visit publictransportation.org. Come to the forest. It's a place not so far away. A place where you don't have to mow the lawn. Or babysit. I saw lizards and squirrels and bugs. Ladybugs, caterpillars. It's really cool, actually. A place where you don't have to make time for free time. Lots and lots of kinds of species here. Out here, you may even meet the mysterious creature known as the other you. The enchanted you. It's magic what flowers do. The adventurous you. My favorite tree. Yes. That one. The free-to-be-me you. (laughs) Ask your parents to take you to this not-so-far-away place. Come to the forest where the other you lives. 
But first, stop by discovertheforest.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on, and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website, too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. Welcome back. Hey, if you are inspired by our conversation today and want to share it with others, or maybe just listen to it again, visit our website at thedrjulieshow.com where you'll find all the archive links as well as listings of upcoming guests. And also stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie, where we continue the conversation. And I love your messages. I love your emails. Thank you. Keep those coming. It always helps us with our programming and our our guests here. So thank you so much for being involved. And we are talking today with Dr. Nancy Roof. She is so much more than just the founder of Cosmos, as you are hearing today. But um, I love I love the name of the journal, the Cosmos journals. Cosmos is an ancient Greek term meaning the harmony and beauty of the universe wherein all parts have their place within the whole. Nancy, I love that. I love that it talks about the harmony and beauty and you do talk about the aesthetic beauty a lot, not just the connections, the science, but you really are creating this harmonic convergence of information and people and pioneers and I really appreciate that. How did you get from working with the UN and gathering with leaders to saying it's time to put this Cosmos journals together? Well, I, um, (laughs) actually it came, it came in a uh, way that um, was very unexpected. A couple of my friends at the UN uh, came to me at, well, we we were meeting regularly, and somehow within the group, we said, why don't we uh, start a magazine? There were three of us, and one of them was a journalist, and one was the head of a Buddhist temple, and I had my psychological experience and so forth, and we had, one was from Africa, one was from Korea, South Korea, and me from the United States. And so with the three of us really began what what we then called spirituality and reality. And uh, we published the first copy of uh, 
spirituality and reality. And as that was happening, one of our members, who was actually a, if, um, the head of political affairs at, at uh, the UN at the time, felt that uh, this type of magazine was going to interfere with his career at the UN. So he said, I just can't continue. And then the uh, Buddhist um, nun leader got very, very ill. And she said, I can't continue. I've got to go back to South Korea. So I was left with no experience ever of journalism or magazines or anything. I was left with the decision whether I would carry it on. And as I meditated about it, I thought, how can this be that I am left with this to develop when I have no experience as a journalist whatsoever? And then I realized, you know, it's been that way throughout my whole life. I've been asked to do things that I was not trained in. I didn't go to school or college to be trained in those fields. Somehow I developed them from inside out. So that's a that's a very interesting thing that I realized at that point that it wasn't just me, it was all of these pioneers are being asked to develop their field without any training, but to develop it from inside out. And that was what was happening to me in this instance. And I had to say yes all right, I will do this. I, I hear the call, and I will do this, and I will learn. So uh, that's how Cosmos began, and that I was, I was left with a decision, would I really serve, even though I knew nothing about journalism, would I learn and develop this from the inside out? And that's what I did. Mm. So how did you do this in the early years? You mentioned um, your list of writers and contributors are phenomenal, and and we do share a lot of the same um, guests here on the show, which which is you know quite an honor. But how did you begin attracting these brilliant minds and pulling this journal together? So really, it's it's so comprehensive, and it and it speaks to the transformation of, of almost anything there. I mean, there's so much breadth and depth in the Cosmos Journal. Mm. Well, I, at the beginning, and I guess almost to this point in time, uh, I knew everybody who wrote for Cosmos. I had met them in one form or another in some uh, event that I was involved in or whatever. And if I didn't know them, I would meet them. I would ask them if they would meet me before I had them write for Cosmos because I was well aware. In fact, it was really from a client that I, that I had when I was doing one-to-one work who was a brilliant writer an absolute brilliant writer, but she was unable to live what she was writing about. 
and she came to me for help. And um, hopefully I was able to help her at one point, but the point I'm making now is that I was so aware that many people are very good writers, but they don't live what they're writing, and that I wanted to make sure that everybody who was invited to write for Cosmos was living what they were writing about. So that has been true throughout all the years. There were a few exceptions where I didn't personally know the person or personally meet them. Even our artists, you know, uh, Ginger... Uh, Gilmore from England, when she came to New York, I came into New York to meet her so I would know her personally before I had her write for Cosmos. Uh, And um, that's been true, uh, as I say, through the years, primarily. I would know them personally or someone who was very close to them because I'm very, very concerned about people who pick up a trend and write about it, but really are not living what they're writing about. I would rather the person didn't write that well, but actually had the experience of what they were writing about. So I've always been more concerned uh, about that the person be genuine, that they be authentic. They are living what they're writing about. Mm. Nice. Nancy, I just, there are so many questions that are just mingling around in in my mind right now because I'm thinking of that in the beginning it was about information, you know, and and you were to inform and inspire and you're moving toward engagement. And as I'm listening to you in those early years, which was just, you know, 15, 16 short years ago, but so much has changed in our world since then, holding those high standards was really important and now with the the shifts in the information age and social media and it was kind of like in my opening it's like how do we get a clear message through and the millennials just want a quick picture or a quick video or or something so i'm wondering what your vision is now that you're moving toward engagement what is that like? What's your dream? What have you begun? I'm just, I'm just curious on the movement, the evolution from the inform and inspire to the engage. Yes. Well, a lot of what has happened, uh, another trend that happened, that uh, the movement toward the global was uh, very much in the... Um, the place where where humanity was developing when we first started in the year 2000 i went to the un in 1987 because i could feel that pull that we we had to understand the entire global scene as best we could holistically to understand what was going on and of course when, with climate change it became imperative uh, that we realized that there is that all things are connected, and um, so that that movement of uh, educating or informing people, helping them to become uh, global citizens, was very much on my mind at the beginning of my vision uh, at the beginning. But as years went on, things began to move so much out of the local to the global that we ran into trouble 
with that. So then we had to move back to local and community things where people were involved and could make a difference personally. And so we might call it uh, local. And that is really my vision now that, that much of the work has to be done at the community level now, but there has to be a global worldview. It can't, if, if we just go with the community, we're going to have separate communities taking care of their own, but not linking with the others. So that global community uh, interface is very important in this engagement. And the engagement has to be where people can actually do something, as they can at a community level. It's much, much easier to do something at a community level. And uh, we recently started a project to, of really looking into uh, what it would mean to have people engaged in a community project. And we're really at the very beginning of that. But we want to, we are developing a handbook for uh, community uh, local change um, with an interface to the global. But that is probably going to be a couple of years out. But we have supported and I've spoken at um, global um, movements, the, the, um, and people from our staff had been at the marches, at all of the large global events, uh, people protesting. We are encouraging, and everybody I know who has, who has that whole vision knows nothing. It, we, it will not be done by the people in power. It has to come from the bottom up. And this means engagement of thousands and thousands of people uh, deciding that they are important. Uh, it's not just that their vote is important, but that it's important that they protest things that are, I would say, as, as these institutions are collapsing, we're losing our ethics and morality at the same time. And if people don't make this move, uh, it's not going to happen from above. And uh, so we are writing about, uh, writing about identifying people who are knowledgeable about activism and what it takes. Um, it's very, the activism today is very different from what it was uh, in the 60s when there, were, there was more uh, anger and hostility and so forth. And now we have to be psychologically uh, mature and sophisticated in how for activism to work. So we're following uh, some of the major leaders who are, who are doing the thinking and pioneering um, in large activism. So it's large... It's for the first, well, it's probably during the Iraq war was the first time we had uh, global activism where people from different countries were protesting the United States going to war with Iraq. And we had movements 
in several different parts of the world. That was the first time I saw an international global movement, and now it's moved into to many areas of activism. They've become global. So it's almost as though, you know, the nation states are no lo- nowhere near as powerful as they used to be, and people are connecting not so much with their nation state, but with people who hold those same beliefs about um, activism and bringing in the new and protesting um, the situation as it stands today. So we're in a totally different era, and it's happening so fast. Mm. You know, when I listen to you, I'm thinking of, of your early work in transpersonal psychology and then feeling that call to go to the collective. And it's almost as if Cosmos Journal, and, and there's a lot of beautiful articles about personal practice. That there's, that's true. It's like, how do we, how do we move, do the interior work? But the Cosmos engagement era is moving us into that sacred activism as as personal practice it's like how do we how do we move into collective practice now well we there are some groups and um, actually there's quite a bit now being um uh, not only uh, uh dialogue but practices collective practices and we we published a series um, called I think we called it Collective Presencing of a group. Um, there are people from Europe and and the United States in this group of women uh, who met well I wouldn't say meditate who meet together and study the what it means to work together as a collective on any issue. And it's a fabulous series of four articles that we've published. And I'm actually going to get an update from the leader of this group in our, for our next journal that will be coming out in May um, called Collective Presencing, where the group begins to come together as one. And it actually does this so that the thinking and the feeling all becomes one. And they've been practicing this for several years now, and I consider them the leaders in this group. And they're just seven, I think maybe five to seven women who have developed this practice that is going to be very valuable to many of us because now we're seeing the potential for group oneness, that we are going to be able to do this, but it's still, I don't think many groups are able to do this now or even recognize the the oneness um, that can come and how that can help move us in evolution. But there are people now doing that uh, and Rhea Beck is the is the woman, and she'll be writing more about this in our next issue. Uh, so, from per, I, I believe that with personal, I, I, I don't believe I know that um, 
when one practices internal development or cultivates the internal life, that it eventually moves to to service, to one's life purpose. One discovers what they were really born to do, and they know because they're guided inside uh, to something that feels very right for them. But service is a natural outcome of spiritual work on oneself. And I also, I remember it slipped by, you mentioned the beauty and how important beauty is in my view, to um, elevating consciousness. So we've always tried in Cosmos Journal to, ha- to make the journal very beautiful with, and to discover artists who are uh, creating art that is beautiful, that moves us, that touches our heart, that moves us inside to want to serve and to want to help and heal humanity. So beauty to me um, has been, let's say in the scientific era, beauty has had become more of an intellectual thing. You, had, you saw some, some uh, painting, for example, and had to figure out what it meant rather than an instantaneous sense of, oh, ah, this is so beautiful. It moves me, it elevates me, it brings me to my soul. So we try to do that in Cosmos. Mm. And you know what, Nancy, you do that so well. And I really do appreciate the the value of beauty, it is exquisite, and I really, really appreciate that. The other piece that I, I think is beautiful, especially with this collective presencing, is is that um, your following, your engagement with them and that story gives us some sustainability over time we're following this group as they're developing a practice and you know we know there are there are a lot of of different organizations and and groups out there that are practicing beautiful collective presencing collective communication accessing the field Uh, there's just a lot there but as you are reporting on them there's this longevity of their relationship and practice that unfolds before us as a listener it's really quite remarkable in a way to watch it in real life as it's unfolding Mm, absolutely yeah you know this has been so much fun to connect with you, Nancy, and to bring Cosmos Journal to our listeners if they haven't already heard of it. So I just want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you again. They can go to cosmosjournal.org. It's K-O-S-M-O-S journal.org. And Nancy, is there any last piece of wisdom that you want to share and leave with our listeners today? Well, I guess it's it's too. Um, I wish I could connect with each one individually to share with them the hope.
for this world that we're going through a dark time, but the sun is going to shine so radiantly for all of us. And the the thing I would say to each one of us is, you have something to give. You have something to serve. You can use your life to serve the greater good and create this transformation that is worldwide and know that you are part of history and there isn't a single person in this world who hasn't got something wonderful to give to make that happen. Mm. I couldn't say it better. Oh, thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much for being with us today. I have just really soaked all this in and I just want to say the good works of Cosmos Journal and you Nancy are endless so Cosmos has been deeply committed to this emerging planetary civilization and world community and you Nancy you've been active internationally so it's just really an honor and privilege to just watch this story unfold today thank you so much again for joining us well thank you Julie for inviting me it was a real pleasure Mm, thank you and Nancy and I would love to hear from you what was your aha moment did anything spark a new insight for you today we continue the conversation all week over at thedrjulieshow.com and Facebook at all things connected with Dr. Julie so please go over there leave us a comment right now did you enjoy this conversation and if so please sign up for our email list where you'll get more on the topics and personal insights from me And I would be ever so grateful if you would share this link with your family and friends. Remember, together we create greater connectivity, and that's always a good thing for the greater good of the whole. Until next time, I'm wishing you a world of love. Bye for now.